Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. This week on Making Contact. Being a rad dad is not about being cool. It's not about being hip, not about trying to be in style, not a trend. A rad dad is for radical parenting, the uncomfortable kind, the difficult kind. Parenting has never been easy. Merging your politics with your parenting decisions can be even more challenging. You know, we don't have a choice as parents what sexual orientation our kids are. We don't have a choice on who they're attracted to, their gender. Um, We don't have a choice in so many things. And that makes it hard and really scary and fearful as a parent that we can't protect them all the time. On this edition, fathers and mothers on fatherhood and how it's changing. Traditional ideas about what a dad is supposed to be are slowly disappearing, but what will take their place? I'm Andrew Stelzer, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. Do you want to answer what a rad dad is? What is a rad dad? I don't know. You don't know? What? Mm, a bad dad. A bad dad or not a bad dad? <laughs> a bad dad. Is a rad dad? Yes. How about a dad who loves you a lot? Sort of. And gives you hugs and kisses? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but okay. okay. <laughs> a dad that helps you take care of bugs and animals and That's true. plants. That's true. Okay. Uh, what else? That lets you be you? Yeah. A dad that lets you wear different colored socks. That's true. There you go. Anything else you want to say on that? No. Okay. That was Craig Elliott and his son Thomas at a Sunday afternoon gathering in Berkeley, California. About two dozen people came together for an event organized by Rad Dad, a zine about parenting. Throughout this show, we'll hear from several people at that gathering discussing the question, what is a rad dad? To start off, let's hear Craig Elliott reading a piece he wrote for an issue of the zine, followed by Rad Dad creator Tomas Moniz reading a piece he calls Low and Slow. So uh, this is the Father's Day I wish to see. I know it's approaching Father's Day each year only because of the pro-capitalist email and snail mail marketing for dads and grads. Otherwise, I don't think I'd remember. Certainly not needing to remember is a privilege of how I benefit in this patriarchal society, even when I express my masculinity differently. While I work to resist the unearned distribution of privilege and changes social order, I can't escape yet uh, that I continue to benefit. Until that day, it is up to me to use my power for good and attempt to shift the gender depressive system that we have. I do a, little, a lot of that by raising my kids. I'm not very fond of Father's Day. It is an overmarketed, in a limited masculine way. Ties, grilling equipment, golf. It feels dishonoring in a twisted sort of way, only because it still asks us to conform to the essentialist normative version of a father, which only oscillates between Ward Cleaver style infallibility and the goofy incompetent Homer Simpson style, neither of which is all that appealing, except in small circles. Uh, Even the version of the best TV dad to date, Cliff Huxtable is not that accessible as a model. I expect a greater emphasis on honoring the roles of fathers and the impact that they can have on children's lives. 
Even as we continue to pretend that we ignore gender, it would seem that something this gender-loaded would not be fodder for commercial and cultural events. But I guess that men being men in any other way just isn't profitable yet. What I want is a time when parents can be truly honored, not just for one day, and not just one designated in a trite, gendered way that is focused on stuff. I want days filled with love. Care and caring are powerful medicines in the battle against oppression and for social justice. Uh, and that we do it in ways that affirm one's race, gender, sexuality, religion, uh, and illuminate how those constructs uh, in care are conceived and distributed. For me, this would look like a morning with my family, with breakfast that my kids made, conversations and play with the energetic laughter, and little moments that you want to capture in your mind, the ones that remind you of the deep joy of being a parent. Kids that laugh, cry, care, hug, and love are what I need every day. This is parenting that changes the world. Thank you. Low and Slow, a movie script about a father, three kids, the evil media, and the perils of sex education. VoiceOver. Imagine Morgan Freeman. I always thought this would be easy. I humored myself with assurances that I wouldn't handle the subject like my parents did, that I would be a beacon, a guide, dare I say, a confidant for my children. Ah, the lies we tell ourselves when we're rocking babies about how we will parent in the future. Let me tell you right off what the moral of this story will be. Humility. Scene one. I'm driving in my car with my 13-year-old son. I discovered a few days earlier he's acquired some pornographic materials. I know what you're thinking. What's the big deal about some adult magazines tucked up under a mattress? Oh, how I long for those good old days. You see, if only I discovered a dirty magazine. No. Thanks to the internet, instead I discovered 45-second clips of hardcore group sex on my computer desktop. It's time for The Talk. Which I've had many times before, so this should be easy. Hey, uh... I found some stuff on my computer I think we need to talk about. Awkward silence. Really, he asks. What? More awkward silence. He continues, do we really have to talk about it? Cue the cheesy music. As I pull over, I mumble something like, well, if you're going to look at it, I guess we need to talk about it. I'll spare you the gory discomfort, but let me tell you, Joking about sex with him when he was 10 was nothing like having the first real conversation at 13 about the seriousness and the responsibilities of sexuality. Flashback. I'm standing with my father in the garage. It's dusk. I'm about 14 or 15. I rarely have time with him alone anymore because he is a busy man. He's a silent man. But I know he loves me. I know he tries. 
He doesn't look me in the eyes. He called me out here because he caught me the other night getting down like only teenagers can in the horrifically uncomfortable backseat of my 76 Toyota Corolla. So now comes my The Talk. Listen, he tells me, and waits, the pause pregnant with anticipation. He says, keep your willy in your pants. I'm serious. Then he walks away. And I'm serious. That's what he said. That was the extent of our birds and bees conversation. Of course, soon his advice becomes my way of joking with my girlfriend about getting it on. It's time to release the willy. It was funny until about the age of 18 when she becomes pregnant. Non sequitur flash forward. The horror and accompanying popcorn gag as my son and I were getting ready to watch Aladdin. Don't ask me why my son was invited to a three-year-old's birthday party at a movie theater when I witnessed for the first time the preview for the movie Free Willy. Go, Willy, go! The greatest adventure of the summer. Scene two. After having a difficult discussion about drug use with my 14-year-old daughter, I jokingly ask her, well, anything else we should talk about? Like, are you having sex? Now, of course, I joked with her too about sex, but once again, not really prepared for her response. No, Dad. I mean, I've made out with a few hot boys, that's all. I stare at her blankly. And once again, in a moment that highlights the generational differences between my teenage years, when you had to have a girl or boyfriend to free Willy, today's young people seem more empowered to be sexually active without having to have a significant other. The wisdom is, of course, shocking. I stutter something like, I, I didn't know you had a boyfriend. I don't. Oh. Picking up on my mental conundrum, she explains, Dad, there's boys you want to be your boyfriend, and then there are hot boys you just want to kiss. Still stuck somewhere in the 1950s, I ask, but don't you want your boyfriend to be hot? Yes, she says, but sometimes you just want to kiss a hot boy. Dad, can you please leave my room? Voice over. The third time is really the charm. I understand that now. From the sheer horror at the need to talk with my son about masturbation and pornography, to the disorientation of generational changes with my middle child, to finally the self-reflection, the epiphany of, oh, I have been here before with my youngest. Now, some people may not need three children to see the light. Unfortunately, I did. Scene three. When my youngest daughter informs me that she's joining the gay-straight alliance at her middle school, I almost miss it. When I was 12, I was still playing with tractors and thought my willy was indeed a whale. Mm-hmm, I mumble while trying to decide what the hell to make for dinner for two daughters who never want the same thing. But after a second, her words reach me. I remember my father, the dark garage, the silences. I stop what I am doing and I look at her. I tell her how proud I am of her. I ask her questions, and I just listen. And a few weeks later, I listen again as she shares with me her frustration that even people who are members of the Alliance use the word gay derogatorily. And later still, I apologize when she overhears me joking with a neighbor about a friend of ours who is a self-proclaimed fag hag. I see her face. 
I know immediately she only hears me saying the word fag. Scene four. We are watching the movie La Mission. It's three teenage girls and me. At first, they wanted to see Hot Tub Time Machine. To be honest, I did as well, but I knew that it's not often we get to see movies that bring up issues critically. It's true, though, that even bad movies are opportunities to discuss the way things are messed up, sexual violence, gender rigidity, racism. But tonight, I wanted to go the high road. We're in the dark, and it's the scene in which the father is refusing to listen, to know about, to acknowledge his gay son's desires. It's the familial version of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Now tell me, who's this white boy? He's a friend. What kind of friend? A friend. So we're in the dark, and my daughter reaches to grab my hand, and she leans into me and says, I can't believe there are still people like him. It's them that I am thankful for the privilege of being part of communities in which the homophobia I remember as a teenager seems surreal. Seems like Hollywood exaggeration to my teenage daughters. Final voiceover. I rented The Life and Times of Harvey Milk and planned on watching it with my kids. But now they're busy. Now they have so many other things to do that they just wanted to watch the funny parts. Funny, you might ask? They simply love the scenes of street life in the Castro. They comment on the clothes, the hairdos, laugh at the Castro street parade footage, the dancing. But as the story shifts to the spontaneous memorial that moved down Market Street after Harvey Milk was killed, they watch silently. Thousands and thousands of people and that feeling of such loss I see their sadness, feel their disbelief. They soon leave and return to their rooms. I don't have to say anything. They know. And when I tell them about the event I'll be reading at a few weeks later to celebrate the city's first annual Harvey Milk Day, they smile. And one adds, that's cool, Dad, but just don't embarrass me, okay? So it's come to this. Even though I don't have to explain things anymore, and even though I am so clearly the last person they want to confide in about anything sexual, I still ask questions, and they still hate it. I still ask if they're having drugs and doing sex. They just roll their eyes and look utterly offended. My mantra now is low and slow. I've stolen the line from the movie La Mission. I tell them in my best Bato accent to have fun, but keep it low and slow. I think it's better than telling them about willies and freedom. That was the creator of Rad Dad, Tomas Moniz. You know, we don't have a choice as parents what sexual orientation our kids are. We don't have a choice on who they're attracted to, their gender. Um, we don't have a choice in so many things. And that makes it hard and really scary and fearful as a parent that we can't protect them all the time. We want our kids, you know, to get along, to, to make friends and to be happy, but it's, it's really 
it's not up to us and we we have to give up some of that that control and that's that's really scary for me and and in our family the obstacles that come up day to day because of that what they play with and what they see i'm not teaching my kids to do certain things that they're doing they just pick that stuff up and you know and 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 dealing with that um, and accepting those things about them we'll be right back You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. Because of generous support from listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and South Africa. To find out how to donate, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. My name is Jeremy John, and I'm from Washington, D.C., but originally I'm from Indiana. Being a rad dad means that not only are you working to raise a child whose life will be founded on principles and love and justice, but you're also trying to make the world a more just, sustainable, and loving place to raise that child in. Also, I mean, I think that one of the things about having a kid is you're like this is the most important social justice you know mission or ministry that I have in my life is to raise this one single child and he really is the future and he's going to be the one that's going to you know if he just goes out there and you know gets some job in corporate America marauding and pillaging other countries you know then I might as well have not have lived my life because my entire life of struggling for social change and struggling for love, peace, and justice in community is totally invalidated. So I have to be careful of the balance between the time that I put into grassroots organizing, community justice work, and the time love and work that I put into my, my little baby son. And, and so work-life balance, which you know previously we can, as activists, poo-poo and then gradually like move towards burnout, um, now is all the more important because it's not just my own destiny that's at stake, it's the destiny of my tiny little son. I mean, to me, a rad dad is, and really it's a a rad parent, any kind of parent that's willing to live the way that they would want their child to live and to be able to have the courage to walk that path. And that kind of bounces outside the norm of finances and politics and actually live that childhood dream almost that they've forgotten or they've lost or that they never really had the courage to go after. Um, I think when you look at your kids, uh, they have that and they look at us like we've lost it. And so to me, being a radical parent is finding that courage to live that life, live that path with your child. So. Uh, Radical parenting, I think it's, it's important because I think so many people just kind of draw back to what they need to do to get through the day, heads down, and not really thinking about what the world and perspective looks like from their kids. And I think by looking at your kids and conversing with them in that way makes you extremely radical. I was in that situation. I was the parent, and I was the breadwinner, and I had to make a decision of, do I risk everything for this crazy idea of, I'm a kung fu instructor in Chinatown of opening this kung fu school, or 
do I just get a corporate job and play it safe? You know, and I was sitting there with my daughter, who's four, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to make the decision right now. The lease is right in front of me, and I, I don't know if this is going to work. And sure enough, uh, she goes, Dad, just do it. And I was like, okay, sign it right there. You know, it's not the, I don't recommend that all the time, but it was. But inherently speaking, I think that four-year-old had a lot of truth within them and that sense of being brave enough to be able to go, anything's possible. Now, what they don't realize is the extreme amount of hard work and <laughs> hardship you experience after you make that decision of signing that lease. But I think they naturally have that ability that we as parents and as adults kind of lose um, to kind of help guide that way. So I think raising them, you know, being that guide for them will help them be the person they want to be without thinking about what's right, you know, who am I supposed to be, gender classifications and things of that nature. Just be happy. Check it out. So my name is Jason and I live in the Oakland area and I have a six month old girl and uh, this is my first one. I'm about 40 years old so I'm kind of watching in a way my radness kind of at least temporarily kind of fade before my eyes because <laughs> I'm just trying to survive this thing you know. I think radness requires a lot of free time. You're gonna be um, skateboarding, DJing, surfing. Uh, I haven't been able to do much of any of this, but one discussion that my partner and I have a lot, I think it's it's a process of kind of like, what are we doing? You know, what kind of parents do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? How can we maintain, you know, a lifestyle that we feel like is worth living and also for our little one? One thing that we're considering is basically making less money and having you know, we're actually talk about living out of the country. But I would be foregoing my career. And I think that probably, at least in the short term, the family thing is gonna win out. Being a dad isn't a passive thing for a rad dad. Like a rad dad is an active parent. Like a rad dad is actively involved in looking at how they parent, looking at how they connect with their kids, looking how they connect with their community. Um, my, I have two sons and I want them to be rad dads. Like if they choose to become fathers, I want them to be connected, engaged, um, aware of the internalized misogyny or you know internalized racism, all the different things that prevent fathers from really connecting with their kids. This idea of what society tells us a good dad is versus what actually makes a family functional and what makes kids feel supported and how partnership is connected between like not just economics, you know, like the breadwinner conversation. A rad dad isn't necessarily the breadwinner. You know, a rad dad might be supporting the mother of their children. They might be supporting the other father of their children. You know, rad dad can go beyond the sexual orientation binary, can go beyond the gender binary. So I really appreciate the rad dad um, ethos, I guess. Um, so I, I, I think my version of a rad dad is, uh, is, is teach my kids to love, I'm trying to make a difference in the world, helping them find their own ways of being who they are and self-expression and understanding what they're feeling and being able to use it, especially the boys, because that's such a counter-narrative to how I grew up. And so making sure that they understand that they're their own people and they can be what they want and do what they want and to, to really love the world.
it's less revolutionary now for a dad to be involved. It's less um, of a surprise. And the sad thing is that it's, it is still kind of a surprise. So there's still a lot of opportunity for fathers to be more involved and also wanting to acknowledge that there are a lot of fathers out there right now who are really stepping up and really like, pulling their weight in, in new ways that probably existed before, but nowhere near on the scale that it exists now. Because moms are working outside of the home more and I feel like my mom's generation was like one of the first to enter back into the workforce. And that generation was very, we can do it all. We, we can do everything and we will do everything and we don't need help. And in my generation I'm feeling, or at least for myself, that it's not okay with me not to have help and that I deserve to have um, help. Janine Macbeth is the author of Oh, Oh, Baby Boy. I started this book when our second son was born and I would just kind of sit, I would just sit back and watch my husband engage with our other son who was two at the time and our baby and realizing how his engagement and his work and his commitment to making sure that they had everything that they needed and that I had everything that I needed really opened up a lot of opportunities for me around being a mom with a newborn baby and realizing that that postpartum time, you know, all the way in through as the kids age is a really potentially disenfranchising time for moms. And so the power of a father or any parenting partner being involved and being truly active is just amazing. And I wish that every parent and every mom had that kind of support. Being a rad dad is not about being cool. It's not about being hip, not about trying to be in style, not a trend. A rad dad is for radical parenting, the uncomfortable kind, the difficult kind. Radical as in not complacent, as in conscience and conscientious of our impact on our children, our partners, our environment. Radical as in taking responsibility for the privileges some of us have, whether we want those privileges or not. Radical as in being cognizant of how we challenge patriarchy or not, how we participate in capitalism, how we depend on unquestioned roles of authority and hierarchy, and then radical as in having the courage to consider ways of changing these aspects of parenting. Lately, I've seen numerous new books and websites that clearly are trying to profit off of or benefit from or create a market for hip fathering, talking about how men can still be men, whatever that means, and be a cool dad as well. What so many of these books or sites lack is a social critique, an understanding that for so long fathering has been intimately connected to patriarchy, to violence, to capitalism. Unless we as fathers do something to change that, no amount of coolness, no amount of humor, no amount of hip papa clothes can cover it. So my new mantra, we need radical change, not radical baby accessories. For me, creating the zine Rad Dad was about reaching out to community. It's not about a place to provide excuses for some of the messed up ways fathering is manifested by some men in our society, nor about absolving ourselves of our complicity in the ugly history of traditional fathering. We gotta own up to it. And that's why I know I need other radical parents, both mamas and papas and radical parent allies, to help me see how I am caught up in this history, especially when I am unaware of it, which sadly happens too often. 
I need them to show me how myths of fathering are perpetuated in the media or to help me see when fathering is being used as a marketing ploy or is being packaged for consumer convenience. Rad Dad for me is recognizing how I need help. It is as much about radical parenting as, is, as it is about fighting to change society in every aspect. So basically, I want the word father to be synonymous with dedicated, with nurturing. I want it to be analogous to activist, environmentalist, feminist, anarchist, gangsta. I want people to step back when we announce that we're fathers and that we're here and we ain't leaving until things change. That was Tomas Moniz, creator of Rad Dad magazine. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. Some of the other voices you heard on today's show include... Oh, yeah, my name is uh, Brent Ramos. Uh, my name is Danny Gutierrez. Oh, I'm Ariel Clark of the Sex Positive Parent. Craig Elliott. For a CD copy of this program, check out our website, radioproject.org. That's also where you can get podcasts, download past shows, or make a difference by supporting our work. Like Making Contact on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. I'm Andrew Stelzer. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.